That's what I love about teaching biblical theology, because what we do at the workshop is I introduce this idea of biblical themes, themes that the divine author has written into his book that help us get to the main message he wants us to get to. So as you look at Christ, like gaze at him from all of these angles that the biblical themes provide to us, what happens is we see more clearly his beauty his sufficiency, and his necessity. And that's what we need to see, most of all, when we go to the Bible. Now, some people will say, well, you know, but my people, they want something practical. And I would say to you, there is nothing more practical than the urgency of being joined to Jesus Christ. Hello and welcome to Candid, where we never settle for less than the truth. I'm your host, Jonathan Youssef. Each week, we'll tackle tough issues, answer your hard questions, and take a candid look at the Christian faith. Would you mind leaving us a review today? By leaving a review and a rating, it helps others find us, and it would be a huge help. Using your favorite podcast platform, go to our show and leave a rating along with a review, and perhaps next week, we will mention you on the show. Did you receive discipleship when you became a Christian? How did you approach studying the scriptures? Depending on your background, you may have been exposed to a limited range of biblical perspectives through Sunday school, preaching, or small groups. In this episode, Nancy Guthrie shares the benefits of studying the scriptures through the lens of biblical theology, drawing from her personal experiences in publishing and the heart-wrenching loss of two children, she explains how God deepened her passion for His Word. Nancy is a respected author, host of the Help Me Teach the Bible podcast at the Gospel Coalition, and a Bible teacher at her home church in Nashville. She frequently leads her Biblical Theology Workshop for Women at conferences both nationally and internationally, and with her husband, founded Respite Retreats, for grieving couples. Join us as we explore the riches of God's character and love for us through a deeper understanding of His Word. May this episode inspire you to pursue a more profound knowledge of the Scriptures guided by the Holy Spirit. Well, today my guest is someone I've been wanting to have on for a little while here, and it's Nancy Guthrie. Nancy has or continues to study at Reformed Theological Seminary. She is a contributor on the Gospel Coalition, including helping on the podcast, Help Me Teach the Bible. And she is a prolific writer and teacher of women, and it is a great pleasure all the way from Nashville, Tennessee. That's right. Nancy Guthrie. Nancy, thank you so much for being on Candid Conversations. Well, thank you, Jonathan. I'm so glad to be with you and your listeners. I first heard your name when I was actually in Sydney, Australia, and uh, my former senior rector at St. Thomas's North Sydney, Simon Manchester, was, uh, I think, co-hosting with you at the One Love Conference. Oh, that's right. my wife attended, and she said, have you ever heard of this lady, Nancy Guthrie? And I said, no. And she 
shared some of your story with me and I went and watched some of your videos and I've just been blessed by your ministry and your books and and we're so grateful for all that the Lord has done through you. Thank you. Uh, I wonder if you could just take a minute or two and kind of give us a little snapshot of your story, coming to faith, uh, getting involved in these uh, weighty issues of theology and um, and then we'll, we'll dive into biblical theology after that. Okay, terrific. Well, I grew up in a Christian home. My grandfather was a Southern Baptist preacher and church planter. He baptized me when I was eight years old. And so I grew up knowing and studying the Bible. I went away to college and minored in Bible. I got a job at a Christian publishing house, Word Publishing in Waco, Texas, right out of college. And mm-hmm. so I was immediately working with some of the leading Christian communicators of that day, which was an incredible opportunity to have a front row seat to see how they handled the Bible, how they communicated it, how they did ministry. And honestly, Jonathan, I learned from both their negative and positive examples Mm, in that regard from seeing that up close. We moved to Nashville, my husband, David, and I, and my son, Matt, who was three at the time, we moved to Nashville in 1993. And uh, I joined a, a Bible study here that, I mean, I remember being somewhat hesitant because they had such high expectations for the level of commitment that I would actually do my lesson every week and show up every week for the discussion right. and the lecture. Right. And that just seemed like a huge sacrifice to me at the time. I mean, I was, I had a media relations business serving Christian publishing clients and I was just, you know, so busy. But you know what, Jonathan? I was so desperate for something mm-hmm. real with God. And I knew at that point it was only going to come through his word. By me, Mm. it wanting relationship meant that I was going to need to listen to him speak to me Mm. and respond to him in prayer. And so I made that commitment and it changed my life. I just week to week, I would be in the word and come under conviction and repent. Yeah. And the Lord was working in my life so significantly. Honestly, sometimes I wondered, what is God preparing me for? Mm. (laughs) Maybe it's good that I didn't know in some ways. Mm. Um, In 1998, I gave birth to a daughter named Hope. And Hope was born with a rare metabolic disorder called Zellweger syndrome. Mm. And so we found out on her second day of life that her life would be very short, Mm. uh, very difficult. Uh, Hope couldn't see or hear or suck or swallow. Uh, Mm. A lot of her internal organs were already significantly damaged before she was born. And so the Lord gave us 199 days with her. And as you can imagine, Jonathan, that was just a profound turning point in my life. Yeah. As much as I loved the scriptures and thought that I understood them, that experience caused me to take some very significant questions back to the scriptures and try to mm-hmm. understand what God is doing in the world and what those of us who call him father can expect from him in this life. Mm. And so I had a lot to work through during Hope's life. And then after her death, 
Now, to have a child with that syndrome means that my husband and I must both be carriers of the recessive gene trait for that syndrome. So that meant after we had hope, we had a difficult decision to make in regard to whether or not we would have more children. Yeah. And we decided the wisest thing to do was to take some surgical steps to prevent another pregnancy, which we did, but evidently it didn't work. Mm. And Mm. so about a year and a half after Hope died, I discovered I was pregnant. Mm. And honestly, Jonathan, uh, when I discovered that, oh man, my heart was pounding. Uh, He didn't want to go through it again. uh, Yeah, I went up to David's office. But the thing was, it was really a combination of profound emotions, Jonathan, because there was this cautious sense of joy. Like, here's this thing that we ruled out. Yeah. And God has clearly overruled. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And maybe he has done that because he's going to give us another child to raise, which we desperately wanted, but didn't expect. Mm. But then the other part of me was this sense of dread, like, maybe he's going to ask me to do that again. And for that, there was just, uh, why would he ask me to do again? Was there something I didn't learn the first time around (laughs) that I need a remedial course? Or what is it? Uh, But, you know, at that point, I just had really come to the conclusion that these things are not accidents in our lives. I I totally rest in the sovereignty of God. And Mm. I remember just saying to him, okay, Lord, if you're going to ask me to do this again, and because we went through prenatal testing and discovered that this child was also going to have the fatal syndrome, Mm. I just said to him, okay, Lord. If you're going to ask me to do this again, you must have something very significant that you want to do with it. And so what I'm asking you is do everything. Do everything that you intend to do. Keep me from being resistant, uncooperative to your purposes in this, and magnify yourself in our lives and in this child's life and in his death. And um, our son, Gabriel, was with us about the same length of time. He was with us 183 days, and then he was mm. gone. And uh, so those, those two children, their very short lives and deaths, they were profoundly uh, shaping to my life. I, I mm. you know, in, in many ways, it's, it's so long ago. I mean, yeah. hope would be 24 and Gabe would be 22. And so in many ways, it's so long ago. But um, I tell some people, you know, you can't really know me without knowing about that. Because those yeah. experience, they not only shaped who I am, but, you know, they shape what we're going to talk about today yeah. in regard to the Bible. Yeah. Because they were so significant in my understanding of who God is and what he's doing mm-hmm. in the world. Mm-hmm. And he answered that prayer that you prayed, even in, again, what we're going to be talking about and in the way that you have, in a sense, unlocked the scriptures for a lot of people, Um, a lot of women who could have gone years without having a almost an interpretive key to understand things that maybe felt distant to them. But you have helped, God has used you to help bring the nearness in understanding women, I'm sure, and men, I'm sure, who have faced similar situations, who have had similar questions, 
and didn't really know how to take questions to the scripture. I like the way that you phrase that. And so God has obviously used that for his purposes. And and we grieve, but we rejoice with you that, that, that these are the ways that he's equipped you and used you and your husband. And so you've written, you've contributed quite a bit to the Christian world, and and now you've got a biblical theology workshop for women, and you're you're making your way around um, the U.S. and a little bit outside of the U.S., I think, uh, the yes. U.K. and a few other places. I wonder if you could help us, for those who maybe don't understand, biblical theology can be kind of a, a misnomer. <laughs> Uh, is it biblical theology as opposed to unbiblical theology? And uh, what's the difference between that and something like systematics theology, which, you know, some people maybe not have even heard of. So just walk us through a little bit of the thought process behind it, what it is, and then um, your intention and your purpose in teaching it. Certainly. Yeah, I think the first time I heard the term biblical theology, I would have, I made the assumption, which is not an ignorant assumption, to assume that we're talking about theology that is biblical as opposed to unbiblical. Yeah. But actually, there are, there are numerous kinds of theologies. If theology is the study of God, there are a number of ways we go to that. Yeah. Uh, there would be historical theology, right. where we study what has been believed about God throughout history. I think what I grew up being taught most and Frankly, what most people I think are familiar with, if you grew up like I did and had a church history like I have, is we were taught doctrine and mm-hmm. we would call that systematic theology. And in systematic theology, we are kind of combing and collecting from the Bible to create a comprehensive, coherent summary, let's say a summary yeah. of of what the Bible teaches on yeah. something like topics. Uh, yeah. Sin, judgment, uh, the image of God, those kind of things. Mm-hmm. So biblical theology is different from that. Here's the definition I give for it in my biblical theology workshops for women. I say biblical theology is a way of understanding and approaching the Bible that recognizes that even though the Bible is made up of various kinds of literature, and was written over centuries by 40 human authors, it is really telling one cohesive story about what God is doing in the world through Christ. Biblical theology recognizes that the Bible has a number of central themes that span from Genesis to Revelation, each serving to communicate a coherent message about the person and work of Christ. So in biblical theology, rather than creating a coherent summary Mm -hmm. of what the Bible says about a topic, rather it's more about themes that develop. And if we think about a story, you know, a story usually begins with some characters and a setting and there's some kind of crisis and then there's all of this developing action and it comes to a climax where the crisis is resolved, and then the story resolves. And the story of the Bible follows exactly that pattern. Um, You know, I grew up being taught a lot of the stories in the Bible. Yeah, separate and diverse, yeah. Yeah, but not connected. I mean, I'd be pretty embarrassed, actually, Jonathan, for you and your listeners to know how recent it was that I could actually articulate the basic storyline 
of the Bible, which, you know, is a lot of Israel's history in the Old Testament and then moving into the Old Testament. I mean, I have had this collection of all of these stories, but I couldn't have put them on a timeline in the proper order. And so what difference does that make? Well, it makes a huge difference. Yeah. It means that I'm not getting how those smaller stories fit into the larger story, and therefore yeah. I'm probably misinterpreting them. I'm yeah. probably not making them about who Christ is and what he accomplished, but rather I'm probably taking those stories and trying to come up with something that they tell me about what I'm supposed to do and who yeah. I'm supposed to be. and. Yeah. It's not that those stories have no implications in that regard, but the first thing we must see is what they have to tell us about who Christ is and what he has accomplished. Which is, he's the central theme of the whole of scripture. Mm -hmm. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. I mean, that prologue from John really kind of sets in stone. And, you know, we think about... The proto-Euangelion, you know, to use a big Greek term, but the, the, the first gospel, that pre-gospel, which is from Genesis 3.15, that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. And so, if Scripture is all this anticipating of that one who will come. Yes. But you're right. If we read our Scripture as just this sort of historical narrative and we're just sort of plodding along and we're just waiting for this one thing, the stories just feel disconnected. And I think, like you said, it. We try really hard to connect them to our lives, to ourselves, and then it becomes not a Christocentric text, but an anthropocentric text. And by that meaning, it's not a Christ-centered text, it is a man-centered text. So what does the Bible say about me? I'm the main player. I'm the main character. And I'm sure in your sort of uh, preparation and, and work in this field, you've surely picked up on what the implications of that are for people's lives when they become the center of the story. Absolutely. It becomes all about me, what I'm supposed to do. And you know what? That's a really heavy burden. <laughs> That's a really heavy burden. And That's and it's just not burden. the gospel. Yeah. It's not the gospel because the gospel is all about who Christ is and yeah. what he has done. And so the most urgent response when we understand that it's about Christ and what he has done, then the most urgent response that you and I can have is not to try harder to be a better person, but rather we must become joined to Christ. We must be vitally joined to him by faith because as we see him throughout all of the scriptures, Mm -hmm. we see him from all of these different angles. And that's what I love about teaching biblical theology because what we do at the workshop is I introduce this idea of biblical themes, themes that the divine author has written into his book that help us get to the main message He wants us to get to. So as you look at Christ, like gaze at him from all of these angles that the biblical themes provide to us, what happens is we see more clearly his beauty, Mm -hmm. his sufficiency, and his necessity. Mm -hmm. And that's what we need to see most of all when we go to the Bible. Now, some people will say, well, you know, but my people, they want something practical. Yeah. We want to give people something practical. And I would say to you, there is nothing more practical than 
the urgency of being joined to Jesus Christ. Which is their greatest need. Which is our greatest need, (laughs) our greatest need. And actually, it's only as we see his beauty and sufficiency and necessity Mm. that we have any desire to obey. The goal of my workshops, as I head into them, and I'm looking forward to a number of them over this coming spring and into the fall, Here's what I pray for all the people who register, and I go through their names. I pray that they will love Christ more and that the workshop will cause them to long more for his return. Amen. And I say that, Jonathan, because I don't know if you can relate to this. Maybe you had fuller teaching growing up, but you know, most of my life, My understanding of the Christian life was I make a decision for Christ, I try really hard to live for Him, and then I go to heaven when I die. Right. I can remember exactly where I was sitting and when it was when I first really heard teaching about the new heavens and the new earth, Mm. a renewed earth. And I just thought, how come I've never heard this before? And as I thought it through, I began to think about the fact that You know, with all the funerals I'd been to where we read the verses about resurrection and that that's our hope that we take hold of when we lose someone to death. That's the essence of our hope is resurrection. But I realized, you know what? I've never really thought through how my existence is going to be different from the time when I die, my soul goes to heaven to be with Christ and my body goes in the ground. So I'm separated mm-hmm. body and soul. That's going to happen yeah. one day. Yeah. But I never thought through. So how is my existence going to be different after that resurrection day? After the day that Christ returns yeah. and he raises up my body from the ground and right. I am once again body and soul, but now with a glorified body, that can never die. I just never thought it through. And so this is one of the beautiful gifts. (laughs) I feel like I hope that uh, women walk away from the biblical theology workshop with that. They've got a greater sense of the whole story, which makes a difference in their story, that their life in Christ is not simply go to heaven when you die and live forever with some kind of spirit with no body existence. But no, if Christ's story And the next big event in the story is his bodily return and his ridding the whole of creation of the curse that has infected it uh, when his blessings will flow far as the curse is found. Mm -hmm. And that's our glorious future. And that's what I want to set hearts on is Mm. this glorious future that the Bible is giving to us again and again to set our hearts on uh, because we don't want something less than that. Yeah. I wonder if you could give us a little sneak peek. Is there one particular theme you could kind of uh, put out there for us? You've done bodily resurrection, but another theme that maybe comes up through scripture that you – Absolutely. You give out to I the love ladies. To do that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a little appetizer. Yeah. Oh, it's it's awfully hard for me to choose. You know, I wrote a book sure. called Even Better Than Eden, and in that yes. book is nine chapters, and each chapter I take a particular theme and I tell the story yes. of the Bible from beginning to end with according <laughs> to that theme. Um but uh let's see. I love the way the Bible is the story of the Lamb. Mm. Uh, at the very beginning of the Bible's story, 
when Adam and Eve sin, God comes and he covers them with skins. Yeah. It, it doesn't tell us it's a lamb, but yeah. certainly we know from the next chapter that Abel was a keeper of sheep. But yeah. that story really gets going in the Bible when we get to Genesis 22. Yes. When Abraham is told to take his son that he loves, Isaac, up on Mount Moriah and offer him as a sacrifice. So what's happening there is this firstborn son is, in a sense, the representative of the family. And it's a picture of offering him to cover the family's sin. And Mm. so there's Abraham and he's preparing to plunge in the knife and God stops him. And instead there is a ram whose head is caught in a thorny thicket, which by the way, just right there, this Mm. head surrounded by thorns, we're already getting Mm. kind of hints Mm. of Mm. what Mm. I think it's intended (laughs) to point toward. (laughs) So there this ram dies in place of this one person, Isaac. And we continue reading, we get to Exodus, and we read about the plagues that come down on Egypt as Moses is seeking the release of God's people from Pharaoh. And the nine plagues have been terrible, but the tenth one's going to be the worst. Yeah, The death angel is going to come down. And so instructions are given for the Israelites. There's only one way to not have your firstborn son die, and that is they are to take a lamb into the household, a lamb that's the appropriate size for this one family. And um, they're going to keep that lamb in the house for 14 days. And I like to say about the time everybody's attached to the lamb because he's been right, living in the yeah. house with them. Yes, yeah, he, yeah, it's become a family friend, right? <laughs> exactly. Family and they're going to slit its throat and they're going to take that mm. blood and paint it over the door sill of the house so mm. that when that death angel comes down, he will pass over that house. And so in this picture, we have uh, this one lamb dying to cover the sins of one family. And then we get to Leviticus. And in Leviticus, we're told about the day of atonement when they'll bring two goats to the tabernacle and the priest will confess the sins of the people over one of them and send him out into the wilderness. This beautiful picture of their sins being carried far away of the other one. He'll confess the sins over this other goat and they will cut his throat and he will be offered as a sacrifice. But, and that blood is going to be sprinkled on the curtain that goes into the most holy place. And it tells us to wash away the sins of the nation. Yeah. So we've got, one lamb for one person and one lamb for one household or family and then one lamb for one nation. Mm. And then we turn the page to the Gospels and we get to John 1. And John the Baptist looks up, he sees Jesus walking toward him. And he says to everyone, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So here is the lamb who is of such worth (laughs) that his once for all sacrifice is valuable enough, worthy enough to cover the sins of one world for all of those who will be joined to him by faith. Which is another promise that comes from the Old Testament. The nations will come in. And we Mm. can't understand what John even means. By yeah. the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Right. Unless really we've been tracing this story of the Lamb. 
Exactly. Um, it's so interesting. I mean, that comes at the very beginning of that gospel. And I just always kind of wonder, how does John see that? But it's by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, certainly, because mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. is, you know, three years before the cross. But of yeah. course, as we follow the story, we know what it will mean for Jesus to be the lamb. The, the mm-hmm. same week, all of those Passover lambs are being herded into Jerusalem. Jesus yes. will enter Jerusalem. That's right. And mm-hmm. he will be offered as a sacrifice on the cross. Yeah. But the story of the lamb doesn't end there. And none <laughs> of this, the, the stories, all themes, biblical themes come to a climax in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But the yes. story doesn't end there because they all resolve into the new creation. Yes. And so when we get to Revelation, John, he's invited into the heavenly throne room and he's looking for this lion and he looks up. And he sees, he writes, a lamb looking as though it has been slain. (laughs) Mm -hmm. This is not a defeated lamb. This is a triumphant lamb. He is seated Mm -hmm. on the throne exercising his power. And yet, he is a lamb who has been glorified through suffering. And the evidence of his suffering is still there. And he is there. His blood has purified his people. We read throughout Revelation, all those who enter into this place, it's because their their robes have been washed white in the blood of the Lamb. And actually, at the very end of the Bible, we are still reading about this Lamb in Revelation 21 and 22, Mm. where the story comes to a climax when we get to spend eternity in this garden city temple where it says Mm. the light is the lamb yeah so that's a whole theme from beginning to end and that's just one there are so many that are so beautiful but it makes (laughs) your heart sing doesn't it it does and i hope everyone listening is is hearing this and just rejoicing over one even if it's new to you even if it's old to you you know you can't help but just get excited about just the richness, the imagery, you think of the timeline of which all of this is progressively revealed and the lights are coming on for you. You know, I don't know how you can, you could just continue to sit in darkness and say, I don't get it. If your heart belongs to Christ, you just rejoice over this. This is the good news. Well, it is so much fun at these biblical theology workshops, Jonathan, because what I do is, first of all, I show them some themes that they can see in just in, they see him begin in Genesis 1 through 3 and can yeah. see how they come to a resolution in Revelation 21 and 22. Yeah. And then I take a theme at the workshop. I use the theme of tabernacle, temple, dwelling place. And we just walk through it. We see it in creation in the fall and then the rest of the Pentateuch and the history books and the wisdom books and the prophets and the gospels and the epistles mm. and in the mm. cross, resurrection, ascension, Pentecost, and then in the consummation. Yeah. And then I assign them a theme to try to trace through all of those. And to be honest with you, if it's new to you, it's yeah. challenging. Even sure. if it isn't new to you, it's challenging. Sure. But I think the fun of it is it gets – I tell women, I want you to engage your curious mind with the Bible. Mm. You know, we, we live in a time – and as somebody who writes a lot of books, yeah, I'm glad that I can write some books that help people understand the Bible. I am so yeah. grateful for that privilege and opportunity. But I think sometimes many of us get bored with Bible reading or devotions because we've kind of limited it to reading what someone else has 
made a discovery and is sharing with us. And I am really hopeful that as I'm able to teach some of these skills of tracing Mm. these themes throughout the scriptures, Mm. that it will infuse those who I'm teaching with a hunger and a curiosity to try to search out some of these themes and make some of these discoveries themselves. Yeah. There's something powerful about coming across something like that. And then, of course, you can find the confirmation of, you know, whether that's right or wrong, you know, elsewhere to help you. But we do have the Spirit within us, and He's shining lights on on so much for us. But um, if we're hungering and thirsting for that righteousness, He'll reveal those things to us. And um, that's such a special gift that God's given to us. But you're right. I think oftentimes we turn to Scripture and we 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 just sort of read it and then think about what does it mean to me? I don't know move on to the next thing, yeah. you know, and you, you miss out on uh, another thing that I, I saw you wrote, you know, there's parts of scripture where we just sort of say, what is that? You know, what, what's, what's going on in that epistle or what's going on in that, you know, minor prophet? I, I, I don't know. Let's just skip it. I've never really heard anyone teach on it. You know, go to the obscure stuff. <laughs> uh, it, all scripture is God breathed. And there's such a joy in going to the obscure and finding rich treasures in it. And, and well, I, I think the at least the part of the Bible I've studied the least through most of my life is the Old Testament major and minor prophets. Sure. And I think a lot of people can relate to that. And I think the, <laughs> the reason prophets is are strange. <laughs> well, but also when we read a book, we want the story to be chronological. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and the Old Don't Testament doesn't cooperate with us in that regard. <laughs> There's no rules. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, it doesn't go in that chronological order. And if most of us don't have a solid grip on the storyline of the Bible, and I think a lot of people are like me, where you would like, maybe you could do it pretty good. You get to David. Okay. You got that. You know, Solomon followed after him. And then from yeah. there, it's it totally fuzzy. And, you know, the <laughs> yeah. whole divided kingdom, yeah. northern kingdom exile, southern kingdom exile, return. I mean, all of that was just a huge fuzzy mess in my head, even though I had so much Bible teaching so much of my life. And so if that's the case for you, well, of course you won't study the major and minor prophets because they cannot make any sense to you. Right. Unless you understand. understand. You have Mm. to understand who are they talking to? The Northern Kingdom, the Southern Kingdom, both. Is it before exile, during exile, after exile? And so- that basic storyline is essential to making sense. And so uh, what I like to say is that if we don't have that, what we do with the prophets is, you know, the prophets are basically combinations. You know, they're, they're these oracles, which can sometimes be circular. But what you have is the prophet, he, he usually talks about sin, judgment, and hope. And so yeah. what we typically do if we don't know, you know, the storyline to fit them into is we look for those hope sections because those sound really good to us. Oh, yeah. And we take hold of them and try to figure out, you know, something to do with them because it's going to sound really good if we just impress these promises on people and they're going to love right. it and feel yeah. all warm and fuzzy, which is not yeah. a terrible thing. But it's right. we want to study the prophets in a way that we're giving the whole of the message that's intended. Yeah. And so figuring out how they fit in the storyline is important to being able to do that. I wanted to ask you two things. One. What have you found are some of the obstacles for individuals and people? And maybe we've just discussed them. Maybe it's just, you know, 
we're not clear. And so we just sort of plow through it. Or is there ever like an, a situation where it's like a pride issue? Like, no, no, no. I know my Bible. I've memorized my verses. I know my historical sequencing. I don't need this uh, sort of outside thought process, biblical theology. I don't need that. I don't know if you've ever encountered anything like that or, or just obstacles that would stand in the way of people, you know, again, allowing the lights to come on and, and yeah. see the whole room for what it is. I don't know, Jonathan. I, I just know my experience is, I mean, I've been doing these biblical theology workshops since 2019 and I originally started them. I thought I'll do this a year or so. And here I am. I'm still doing them. Because they are so much fun. And what makes yeah. them so much fun is when I walk into a room and the women are there because they want to be there, they want to learn. But if I've got an audience who loves Christ yeah. and loves the Bible, but they've never seen how the Bible fits together and how, how all of their disparate collection of Bible stories and knowledge yeah. fits together in yeah. such a way to glorify Christ and to see Christ from every part of it. What yeah. happens is it's an explosion of joy. It honestly yeah. is. I mean, maybe sometimes there's a resistance. Maybe there can be a sure. sense of pride, especially maybe if there is just that sense of, well, I've never heard this before. And I've or been in the I church my whole life. And, yeah. I teach the Bible and I've yeah. never seen it before. I don't know. Maybe those aren't those people don't talk to me, but because that much <laughs> they leave. Be, <laughs> um, or I do. Maybe I think sometimes people think they've always gotten this. Maybe because they think about Old Testament prophecies, mm -hmm. and they have maybe always seen how the Old Testament prophesies about Christ. And by that, I'm talking about you know, things like he'll be born in Bethlehem and, right. you know, those kinds of prophetic Isaiah things. 53 type things, yeah. But maybe they haven't been able to see how you can see Christ in types, yeah. like the yes. ark, you know, that, 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 yeah. that the, how the ark shows us what it's, yeah. what it's like for us to hide in Christ yeah. and be saved from, in the storm uh, of God's judgment. Which is from Peter's epistle, right? I mean, there's, there, the New Testament yes. actually outlines a lot of those things, but, but even still, I think there can be unfamiliarity with, with even something like that. Yeah, I, I guess there is something. If you've been in the Bible your whole life and you've studied under good teachers, which I did yeah. for most of my life, sure. then we tend to think there can't be something out there that I've just never heard. But I know for me, you know, I was in my 40s, I think, when I first began to hear yeah. biblical theological teachers. And, you know, for me, what it was when I really grasped what was happening in Luke 24. You've yes. got this scene with these two yeah. disciples. They're, you know, they're, they've been in Jerusalem and they saw Jesus die on the cross and they saw him put in the tomb and they heard some mumblings that maybe he's risen from the dead, but they're walking to their home in Emmaus, dejected, mm -hmm. disappointed. This stranger comes along. They don't even know it's Jesus. And he's like, you know, what's up with you? And they, they say, well, you know, we thought he was the one. We thought he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And Jesus says to them, Oh, foolish ones, mm -hmm. so slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Mm -hmm. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer before being glorified? 
And so what's Jesus saying? He's saying to them, like, if you'd really been reading your Bibles, (laughs) which for them was the Old Testament, if you'd really been reading your Bibles, then you You wouldn't have been surprised that the Messiah was going to suffer before he was glorified. But then the next line in Luke 24, 27, this is the verse that changed my life. It says, beginning Mm -hmm. with Moses and the prophets, he explained all things concerning himself. Yeah. And I just remember like, okay, whoa, like, so what did he point to in Genesis? Yeah, right. And say, this is about me. What did he point to in Exodus? What did he point to in Psalms? What did he point to in Habakkuk? And I just realized I've got to go back to kindergarten in terms of my understanding of how to read the Old Testament. And so in a sense, I did. I asked one one of my publishers, could I write the one-year book of Discovering Jesus in the Old Testament? And they said yes. And so I wrote a one-year daily devotional where I worked my way through Genesis through Malachi. But I didn't do it out of like, I know all this stuff, and so now I'm going to share it with people. I did it for my own discovery and re-education and thereby shared Mm. it with people, which is really honestly what most of my books are. There's something I think, I don't know this and I want to figure it out. And so – I approach it as a learner. I think that helps people when they read my book. So rather than hearing from an expert who's just known yes. it my whole life. Someone that's going on the journey with you. Yeah, I hope so. Well, and it's funny because you described that moment when all the women are together and they're hearing these things as an explosion of joy. And I'm thinking about even that line in Luke 24 where they say, were our hearts not burning within yes. us while he spoke? Yes. You know, so there's this. It's like the spirit is saying, yes, <laughs> this is what I've been wanting you to know, you know. Um, yeah. So I wonder if, do you have a story or two of someone that just, you know, the lights were switched on and they just mm-hmm. were overwhelmed? Well, I can remember early on uh, when I was first teaching my study, The Promised One, seeing Jesus in Genesis. I was at my church and there was this godly older woman who was one of the small group leaders and she grabbed me before the small group leaders meeting and she just looked at me so serious and with tears in her eyes, she just said to me, how come I've never heard this before? And I just said to her, I I get it. Me too. I'm not sure I can explain exactly why, although I do have a few ideas about that, but all I can say is, you know, it's not something novel I mean, if we go back in the history of Christianity, mm. and if we go to some other countries that maybe where they aren't so much pragmatic Americans, um, this sense of seeing Christ through all the scriptures wasn't necessarily lost everywhere. What I saw in her was tears in her eyes, sadness over reading the Bible so many years in lesser ways. Because as she was seeing Christ in the scriptures, it was so moving her. And I think doing exactly what I told you is my goal in my workshops, you know, enabling her to love Christ more and long more for his return. That's what we want. Amen. Well, we will have a link to dates and information in the show notes for Nancy Guthrie's Biblical Theology Workshop for Women. And we do encourage you, if you are in one of the cities or states where Nancy is speaking, that you hopefully you've gotten just enough of a taste to where you want more. And we'll have a link for a few of your books on there as well. 
And so it is with great privilege and pleasure that I get to say thank you, Nancy, for taking the time to be on Candid Conversations. Thank you so much, Jonathan. I really enjoyed this conversation. Pleasure. Candid is a podcast from Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. Don't forget to connect with our social media pages on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And subscribe to Candid Conversations on your favorite podcast platform so that you never miss an episode. While there, please leave a review. It does help people to find us. As always, thank you for listening to and sharing this episode.